Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Straight Talking English. I am your host, Catherine. You can find me on Twitter at STRA Talk English. The book that goes along with this episode, because of course we're talking about Before You Were Mine in the Love and Relationships Cluster, is coming out so, so, so soon. My draft is with my editor and once she gives me the okay, that will be available to purchase. So if you like this episode and you'd like some show notes and you'd like all kinds of cool stuff, then I will let you know when it's out. You'll be able to buy it as you can all my other books on straighttalkingenglish.co.uk. You can also check out my context videos that go along with a number of these episodes. If you would like absolutely free and rights owned by me recordings to play some of these poems, I have semi-professional voice actors doing those on my YouTube channel, Straight Talking English. As always, click the button on straighttalkingenglish.co.uk that says support the show. If you would like to buy me a coffee or be a Patreon. Thank you so much to everyone who's already done that. I love you all. Hearts and flowers. So, before you were mine, let's crack on with this. We know the scenario. The speaker is looking back on an image of her mum, a photo of her mum as a young woman, and talking to that figure saying before you were mine before you had that role of being my mother it might be a real picture but i can't find it so unless we try and burgle caroline duffy's house which i am not condoning and hoping that she has a physical photo album we are probably not going to find it the weird thing about this poem not that weird really is that upon writing it, Duffy is older than the woman in the picture. So obviously her mum is older than she is, but the woman she's talking to in the picture is legally young enough to be her daughter. So we've already got this mixing up of self in time and age and cool stuff like that. So I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of your parents before they became parents, but it's kind of a revelation. I've seen some absolutely lovely ones of my mum and dad before they became parents, just after they got married. And it's absolutely beautiful to see them now as people who'd be a couple of years younger than me, just having a nice time. Just like this lovely young couple who were so separated in my mind from the images, the emotional baggage I have of my parents. I don't mean emotional baggage in a bad way, my parents are lovely, but you know what I mean, like all the emotional build-up over the years of having someone as a parent, and you kind of separate it all out. On the other hand, my mother-in-law has an absolutely terrific photo of herself holding a lion cub that lived in her house, age 17. She did not live (laughs) in you know in the savannah her brother worked in a safari park and would bring home the animals to have a little cuddle because you know it's the 70s so i mean we look back at the past and we see the generation before cuddling lions but duffy's mother and the mother in the picture is a real person she was anyway her name before marriage was mary black her family were irish immigrants to glasgow Her husband, who she married, was Frank Duffy. He was an electrician and his family were also Irish. They had Carol and four younger brothers, so it's quite a big family. And that's where we get thinking about the mine, 
because a family of five, you're already gonna have to share that parent's love. I mean, I remember being like three and a half when my sister was born and getting very jealous of her and being like, can we not send her back to the hospital? Can we not just send her back and go back to how things were before? But alas, they do not offer an exchange package on children and they would definitely not let a four-year-old decide that. We know quite a lot about Duffy's family. She grew up in a family of old school Catholic socialists headed by her dad Frank who was a trade unionist and once tried to stand as a Labour MP. I'm drawing this from a Telegraph interview by the way. When she was six family moved to Stafford, a convent school there. She first began to discover a taste for poetry and at 14 decided it was what she was going to do. Yes, asked her parents, but what's your job going to be? And when she looks back on her childhood, she does so in a series of images and moments in the same way that she does in this poem. An interviewer said Duffy's earliest memory of her parents having a party when she was 18 months old. She said, I woke up and all these coats and hats had been put on the bed. I was trying people's hats on. I can remember the smell of perfume on the fur coats and then lying on the bed. Now this is interesting because my earliest memory is from 18 months old and various people have told me there's no way you can remember that far back. But I can. Me and Duffy, we knows it. Duffy was a tomboyish child. She said, I was very like William in the Just William books. Think like wholesome Dennis the Menace meets Famous Five. She was also a voracious reader, collecting her four brothers' library tickets so she could take out as many books as possible. Duffy was telling her daughter Ella the other day how I used to go out on my horse. An imaginary horse, not a real one. I used to ride it to the library, tie it up outside and go in. As she got older, she began collecting her parents' library tickets too, or rather she did, until her father caught her reading Radcliffe Hall's then notorious lesbian shocker, The Well of Loneliness. Duffy says, I think I was 12. I remember finding it very boring. Well, it is boring. There was a fuss and my father took it back to the library. I couldn't have the adult tickets anymore and I was back on Just William. Fair enough. So she's got the library tickets, she's got this big family. What do we know? about the setting of the poem. It's not just Glasgow, it's the Gorbals, which is known as being the roughest, sketchiest part of Glasgow traditionally. It's also where TV host Lorraine Kelly is from lovely, cheery GMTV Lorraine Kelly grew it up in this absolutely hideous poverty. It sounds quite a lot like East London, the sort of situation in which my dad grew up in. Duffy was born in 55. The best report I can find of what the Gorbals was like in 55, well, it's not really 55 to be honest, um, 1948, there was this expose essay in the Illustrated Times about how horrible the Gorbals is. All right, seven years is a long time. I mean, think about how much Stratford has changed in seven years between the Olympics and now. But all right, all right, I'll show you a bit of this. The Air of Calm covers a multitude of horrors. Nearly 40,000 people live in the Gorbals. They live six to eight to a room, often 30 to a lavatory, 40 to a tap. They live in Britain's most abandoned slum. 
At first sight of an early morning, the Gorbals looks like any other poor area. Its flat wide streets are lined with flat-faced tenements. There is a pub on every corner and an undertaker's, open day and night, in almost every other block. The walls are covered with chalk messages. Love God, vote for McShane. Kilroy was here, the Irish border must go. And fading now, victory. Cats are everywhere. It, it really, really. I don't feel like that's that much of a shocking expose, to be honest. And for good reason. It's not until you get inside the tenements that you realise the Gorbals is no ordinary poor place. It's in fact an area that provides a very special version of the slum problem. In its beginnings, the problem was one of immigration. A century ago, thousands of poor labourers began to arrive in Glasgow. They came to work on the newfangled railways and docks of the Clyde. They came for higher wages, for fuller plates, for what they conceived to be a better way of life than was possible in starving Erin and the wasted Scottish Highlands. Alright, normally when people would say wasted and Scotland, it means something totally different. But anyway, a big proportion packs themselves into 252 acres just over the Clyde, south from the city centre, in the area known as the Gorbals. Till then, the, the Gorbals had been a good address, a place for successful lawyers doctors and merchants to retire to, but now the speculators built tenements over the gardens and the orchards. They built them quickly and cheaply to house folk whose standards were far lower than those prevailing in the lowlands. And there the descendants of those folk and the thousands of newcomers who've joined them live today in poverty, squalor, and the hopes things will be better in the afterlife. Bong, bong, bong. On the other hand, this dude called Colin McFarlane, who was also born in 55 in the Gorbals, says it weren't that bad. He said, My parents moved to the Gorbals in the 50s and lived there till the early 70s. They considered it to be one of the most exciting and interesting places to live in Scotland and perhaps the world. During that time, the Gorbals had a wonderful community atmosphere full of life and vibrancy. It was like being part of one giant family as we dealt with life's everyday trials and tribulations. The humour was always there and the street patter could transform a wretched state of affairs into an entertaining experience. There was an abundance of colourful characters who were a delight to watch and hear. Some people tend to portray the Gorbals in a negative light, but my overriding memories of growing up in the place are positive. It was a true melting pot where people from all over the world lived and worked together. Now I really recommend McFarlane's book. It's called The Real Gorbals Story, True Tales from Glasgow's Meanest Streets. And not only is it really entertaining, but he tells us where he thinks the ballroom with a thousand eyes is, based on his own dating experiences, which are hilarious. So McFarlane suggests it's the Barrowland Dance Hall in the Gallow Gate, uh, which is known, I'm led to believe, based on blogs, as the Barra. So, McFarlane says if we didn't meet a bird on the street corner, going dancing was the logical option. Traditionally, many people went to the Barra. It had a high success rate when looking for a partner. My aunties used to tell me about their dancing days. If they met a young man at the Barra, my granny would say to them, does he have a drink? If they said no, my granny said, never trust a man who doesn't have a drink. As in, like, if he doesn't enjoy alcohol, he's probably sketchy. The other two dance halls frequented by Gorbals people were the Plaza Ballroom at Eglinton Toll and the rougher Portland Dance Hall on South Portland Street. 
the place had a nice time and had an old time atmosphere and a, with a large dance floor a revolving glitter ball thousand eyes it's glitter ball and nice small intimate tables where men and women could chat to the potential love of their lives over a drink or two dozens of gang members hung about there joined by burly irish laborers and every fly as in like cool man imaginable picking up my coverage my courage I went there at the tender age of 14 and was taken aback at how uncivilised it was. One man was urinating near the stage as couples danced. Alright, alright, I, I like this. I like this purely because it reminds me, so back in, uh, back in South London in uh, about probably year 2000-ish, there was this trend for like underage club nights where like dry bar but you had like proper clubs and like proper DJs and whatever. And they were blooming scary. <laughs> I gotta say, there was one, and there was a rumour at my school that they didn't let you go in if you were a girl and wearing a skirt because of the amount of boys who tried to ahem decide to check you out. So they only allowed girls in in trousers. That was an urban legend at my school. I don't believe it was actually proven. But that's that's the sort of level we're talking about. Let's get back to Duffy's mum. Her and her mum were very close. And her mum really liked that Caroline grew up to be a poet. Duffy said, my father's proud of me, but he doesn't read poetry. So he doesn't read any of mine. If you force him to, he'll say he could do much better. He could do it better himself. But he was pleased with my CBE. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, a lot of the reason that I'm finding all this information about her mum is because her mum relatively recently passed away in about 2006. Duffy said, I remember going to see her in one of those frightening chapels of rest and there was a silence so deafening that it did deafen me. It was four years before I could write about it and then eventually a poem did come. It, sometimes we think, like neutral tones, there is this definitive experience that creates the poem. Byron getting dumped by Francis Wedderburn. Hardy getting dumped, apparently next to a bond. But we're not sure, like I said, we can't find this picture and we're not sure if it's a definitive experience. She says it, a lot of her work comes from just the vibrancy and the beauty of language. She says it all comes from the same place. There'll be what you might call a moment of inspiration, a way of seeing or feeling or remembering, an instance or a person that's made a large impression. Like the sand and the oyster, it's a creative irritant. In each poem, I'm trying to reveal a truth, so it can't have a fictional beginning. If you want to find out more about her mum, there's another one about her mum, another poem, called The Way My Mother Talks. It was slash is kind of a secondary standard. I don't know which examples still have it, but the way my mother talks is the other mum poem, if you want to follow that thread. Story of my life, I got distracted and went down another thread. A really good way to get the context of your poem, by the way, is look for reviews of the whole collection. Because just like tissue, you want tissues for your issues, if you look at the review for the whole thing, the critic might have an overview of the theme of the entire collection. 
that will include our poem, but not it's, imme it's not immediately obvious from the single one that's been selected. Before You Were Mine came out in 93, and it was in a collection called Meantime. It's deliberately ambiguous. In a poetry newsletter, man, I can't believe I found this. In a poetry newsletter, Duffy explained it, and she said the poems in Meantime are about the different ways in which time brings about change or loss. In the collection, I mean to write about time. The effects of time can be mean. Mean can mean average. The events in the book can happen to the average man or woman. The dwindling of childhood, ageing, the tricks of memorising and the renewal of language, the end of love, new love, luck and so on. Arguably, this whole collection, and that's including Before You Were Mine, it's taken as a single body of work, is about time and memory. How our memory, how our concept of time, impacts on us as a person there's only one book of criticism on carol ann duffy and there's actually two but one of them cost 90 quid and that's not gonna happen people i am not that rich but the book choosing tough words which is edited by angelica michaelis and anthony Rowland, argues that Many of the poems collected in Meantime reflect on this complex relationship between time and signification, in particular when focusing on memory and how time, in its particularisation of past, present and future, impacts on identity and our sense of being in the world. The common denominators of all these poems is the exploration of temporality, or to be more precise, how we experience time and simultaneously how our experience as a self is shaped by it. By doing so, personal memory is inextricably linked with the public and cultural sphere, thus making a point the history of the self is always contiguous. In that respect, the poem is also proof of what could be called a failure of memory. The more we want to assemble a united self, the more we're reminded that such enterprise can only be an illusion since the outside in the form of culture constantly interferes. However, even a lost self might still indicate its previous existence, but the persona can never pinpoint this moment. The only sign of a self is the frantic search for it. Alright, 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 a lot of big literature criticism I've just jammed in there, but let me try and explain it in the the straight talking English philosophy. So I was just telling you about being a teenager in South London and going to these underage club nights. So I can remember that quite vividly. Um, darkened room in some church hall, uh, garage music playing, lots and lots of dancing, uh, wearing makeup, probably way more makeup than I should have, and being in there. So I could look back on that not especially important memory and I could say, okay, that's important to my identity because it was socialising, it was negotiating a new space, like how do I behave in this space which is new to me, the nightclub. But I also have to think about the culture of the time. Okay, South London, we've got garage, we've got speed garage, the, the faster form of garage. And my memory is soundtracked by something by, I don't know, So Solid Crew or oxide neutrino one of them garage people so my memory is linked to a particular style of music a particular discussion in the press about this 
style of music. So that will impact how I see the memory. Let's say I was trying to write my autobiography and I was decided that going to underage discos was a really important moment. Searching back to like try and recall everything in that scenario, everything about why it's so important, I'm going to fail because I'm me and it's like, you know, 15, 20 years later. So that's what it means by the failure of a self, the failure of being able to establish that identity. Because time has split us apart from whatever that important moment is. We're acknowledging that this image was really, really important for Duffy. And she's searching for it because she's got possession of the mum now, but she can't. She's using time to search for a reason about who she is, but she can't quite do it. She's also really, really interested in being an outsider, the idea of outsiderness. We could, yeah, we could argue that the Scottish kid from the Gorbals who moved to Stafford, yeah, potentially there's an autobiographical link in there. But Michaelis and Roland, again, otherness and the state of being foreign, rather than monolithically viewed uh, as purely based on and resulting in exclusion, derives a new meaning in her poetry. It's that which inhabits identity as a constantly present difference, which doesn't allow closure or certainty. The relationship between the inside and the outside, rather than being structured in a rigid binary, is here presented as one of oscillation, moving around, questioning the possibility of any kind of fixed and stable places in culture. Sometimes she's inside the poem. She's remembering the high-heeled shoes, she remembers seeing them as relics, she remembers going to mass, she remembers claiming the mum, but then she's also outside, whose bites on your neck, love, hiding for the late one, but then she's in it again, in and out and in and out. So she is an insider, she's an insider trying to search for this thing in the past that she can't quite get to and it's this moving around the sense of time sense of identity yeah it is based on a real person mary black who had a very close relationship with our poet but it's more about her and her trying to discover through time through memory what's going on from this particular moment and what her position is with it mike drop and to summarize that is everything i know about before you were mine if there was a mastermind specialist round i would probably not do it on caroline duffy because some of her work annoys me but i might be able to do it on this poem all right thank you ever so much for listening guys love love and hugs to you all remember to check out straighttalkingenglish.co.uk buy my books the one that goes along with this one will be out very very soon and you can pick up my other books as well absolutely bargain is just a tenner check out my context videos click support the show and buy me all the coffee in the universe and i shall bathe in it thank you very very much guys next week i'll be talking about the one i like the least sing a song i left it till the absolute end right catch you soon guys mm-hmm.